Welcome to Better Ideas, a weekly podcast series to help you make your home better. I'm your host, Pete Calhoun, and this week we're talking all about getting the home ready for sale. Who better to ask than the executive chairman of Rain and Horn, Angus Rain. Now, he's got some great tips on how to spruik up the inside of the home. But before you get buyers in the front door, you've got to get them in the front gate and get a first impression. That leads me to an expert on first impressions and in creating something special as you walk through the front gate. Jason Hodges, how important is it to get the front garden right? Well, can't you tell by the way I dress (laughs) that I always worry about first impressions? (laughs) Look at you. Hey, there's no mirrors at your house? Oh, wow. No, look, when it comes to real estate, it absolutely makes sense. I've known that the three or four times that I've bought houses over the years, it wears thin. And so you, you might be driving to the place going, okay, well, I don't mind this suburb. You get out the front, you go, yeah, that's not for me. You keep driving. You know, so you know, first impressions do count for everything. So just tidying the place up. A coat of paint on a picket fence or fixing that broken pier on a brick fence, details that cost you hundreds of dollars, not thousands and tons, mm. but stuff that makes your place look really welcoming, a bright, clean number Nothing's worse than when someone can't find your house, let alone if it's the pizza delivery driver and you've got to eat cold pizza or it never turns up. But bright numbers, big numbers, maybe a little bit of architecture in that, like a bit of design in that. So a small detail, but you know, a really cool-looking big number might cost you $100, where a daggy little black one that's hard to see might cost you 30 anyway. So someone's they're comfortable, they're relaxed, they're not tense by not being able to find the place to exactly. start with. Big wide letterbox, you know, that's that easily found, clean and tidy, not full of snails or cobwebs. And then having the garden manageable. You don't want to have it look like a jungle and you don't want to have it look like you've just cut it back the day before and it was never loved beforehand. So it might be one of those things that you have to have a plan where selling in spring, I actually need to raise the canopy of that camellia now or reduce something so that it doesn't look like it's been hacked the day that you put the house on the market. Mm-hmm. You know, So having it clean up the day before you sell it, everything's going to look a little bit butchered because it's been pruned back mm-hmm. if it's been wild and woolly. So having a plan over a few months. I actually like raising things up, so canopies of things, so you can see through, get a bit of the facade of the house or the architecture. If it's closed off and you can't see inside, it's not very welcoming. If you've got a busy road and there might be a necessity for it, or if you've got privacy issues, there might be a necessity for it. But I actually like seeing sort of half the house and half the garden yep. in the same Yeah, and I think it gives back to the community too. 100%. Yeah. There's sort of a two-way street people will be able to see. And it actually, I think it actually provides, it, provides a bit more security, the street being able to see into the front garden. I think that all the time. Doing modern garden design, people go, oh, I just want a little fence. A little fence doesn't stop someone breaking into your house. Visual does. So if you can see the front door, see the windows, Mm. but that doesn't mean that it has to be a barren space and it's just driveway and lawn either. One little tip that I give lots of people that's a cheap, easy one is for an older house, the front paths used to be about as wide as your shoulders or just slightly wider. It's not very inviting when mum has to walk behind dad. And that's what it was a generation ago. The male would walk first, the lady would walk behind him, children behind that. So widening that is a lot cheaper than pulling it up and replacing it. So maybe using secondhand bricks with the old concrete and putting a header course down both sides means that, you know, your bride can walk next to you and you can be hand in hand. Well, I'll tell you the other thing too is we've talked about accessibility living and intergenerational living becoming more and more apparent, getting wheelchairs and disabled access, just widening things up is becoming, well, actually on trend. Yeah, well, the cost of living, the cost of real estate, mums and dads are moving back in with their mm. kids. I love my dad, but he's never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever moving in with me. Love you, dad. Um, 
But that generational living in the one house, it's in the last 10 years, we've gone from moving house about every seven years, and I think it's up to about 14 now. Mm. And with the current prices of real estate, I think that'll be even higher very quickly. We're actually living it now, so they can't judge it. Mm. But we will be staying in our houses for the generation. I think it's really important. This is not for selling your house, but it's important to have a game plan for what you do in the house. So have a plan for when the kids are two and three. Have a plan for when they're seven. Have a plan for when they're 12, 18. Have a plan for when they bugger off. You know, so veggie gardens might become, or sand pits might become veggie gardens. Entertaining areas that were safe for little scooters to ride around on might become perfect spots for 18th birthdays. You know, so having a plan in a garden and maybe engaging a landscape designer so you get the full use out of it. Future-proofing your garden. I've never thought of it like that. It's really important. What about key features you can put in your front garden to, to create a bit of wow? Okay, so the simplest thing is just go and buy a heap of white impatience or gardenias if they're in flower. White makes your garden look bigger. It makes it look cleaner. It makes it look maintained. Say a gardenia, for example, it's quite a high-maintenance plant. It needs lots of food and lots of water. And if you neglect it, it's like a high-maintenance woman that turns up at heels and goes the other way. <laughs> Never happened to you. <laughs> I'll leave that there. So they tend to dry out and sulk and then they don't flower the next season. So I have them only at my front path because I go in and out that front path every day, I get banged from a buck. You know, all my friends and family come in the front path, I'm getting banged from a buck. If I had a whole backyard of them, I'd be constantly worrying about them. And a great way to idiot-proof it is I plant some little white impatience underneath it. Impatience on a hot day, they go from, hello, to, oh my God, I need a drink. Yeah. Best thing about them is if you give them a drink, half an hour later they stand up and go, hello. <laughs> and so I'm actually not looking after the impatience. I'm saving the gardenias. So white flowers, really good. Look, mowed lawn, crisp edges, no weeds in your paving, no trip hazards. It's not that hard. Re-oil a deck. Just little things that if you left it to the week before, would look like a tsunami. But if you give yourself three or four months and you dedicate a few hours every weekend, you can you know, really polish it up and, and get bang for your buck, which means... More people through the door and the highest possible price for you if you're selling. Jason, if, if I'm selling the place though and I'm spending all this money on the front garden, it's sort of something, you know, is it, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm not getting any investment. I'm going to be moving, aren't okay, I? Okay, so a great thing you can do is invest in really good quality pots and plants because you can dress up balconies and decks and patios, yeah. but you get to take them with you. Ah, yeah. Or it becomes a bargaining chip when they go, you know, we're only at this price and you're at that price. You go, well, if you come up with this price, I'll throw those pots in. You know, so it's, not, it's an easy one. But you've got to remember that you do have to invest something to get the return. Like it's, it, it could either just be a lot of time, but you, know, you don't want to underinvest and not put any money into it. If your house is in a well-to-do suburb and we're talking your house is a million, two million, mm. whatever, it might be worth you spending $10,000 if it means your house goes from two million to 2.1. You're talking on the garden, right? Yes, of course I am. Mm. And, and even just an umbrella, if you are thinking about investing in your garden, whether you're buying or selling, you should have a budget of about 20% of the land value. And that sounds like pie in the sky kind of stuff for someone who's just fallen over the line to get the mortgage to get the house. But 20% of your land value, if you ever go and sell that house, you will get that money back first before you get back on any bathroom or ensuite or kitchen. Because a bathroom, ensuite, and kitchen, when are they at their very best? The minute before they're used. Mm -hmm. When is a garden at its very best? Well, it's in the future. So, you know, if you live next to an ugly block of units, you might go and spend a couple of hundred dollars on a hedge. And two years later, you can't see the ugly block of units. You might have added half a million dollars to your property. 
You know, if you screen off a busy road with a nice fence or, you know, if you grow a garden, you can't grow a kitchen any bigger than it is, but you can grow a garden. And it's cheaper to garden than it is to build rooms because we don't have to worry about expensive walls and ceilings. And, you know, we don't usually, if you're planting out, you don't have to go through council. So your overheads, you're not getting certifiers or all that sort of stuff. So the money spent in the garden. Goes on the garden. Rather than just going, say, I invested a dollar and I made two. A garden, you might invest a dollar and make a hundred. You know, you can't really put a price on a well-designed and presented garden when you go to sell your property. But I guarantee you, people will fall in love with it. I love talking to Jason. He makes it sound so easy. Now, quick update on the gardening challenge. Graham Ross, yep, the Graham Ross from Better Homes and Gardens, has got back to me on Instagram and he says, it's four to five months too early, Pete, to be planting tomato seed. Where are you? Well, I'm a little bit embarrassed. That's where I am. With Graham watching over my shoulder, I've actually got no excuse now, have I? If you've got any thoughts on planting carrots or basil, that's what else I've planted, so fingers crossed there. You can follow along with all the pictures if you download the Acast app or check out my Instagram. We're posting pictures of my progress. Simply hashtag gardening versus Peter. Okay, so Jason's got us through the front fence and the garden's looking great. Now we're looking at the front facade of our cottage, which we're, we're putting on the market. Who better to ask on what we should be spending our attention on than Angus Rain, um, head of Rain and Horde Real Estate Chain. Now, Angus, tell us what we should be thinking about. when or What goes through the mind of a buyer when they're walking through the front gate looking at a house? So you have to make your the first impression, which is the front and the facade, as attractive as possible. So you have to get those, in order to get those people to go through the front door, they might have driven past it on the way to dropping the kids off at school. If it's not attractive, they might not even come through the open for inspection. So it's really that, it's a hook. So it should be repainted, the cobwebs from the eaves, they should all be cleaned and also prune and garden and really make it look very, very smick. Then that gets some potential buyers through the front door. And once upon a time, people go, oh, you've got to have a great kitchen, you've got to have a great bathroom, they're the things everyone's looking at. Is that still the case? Or what are people now looking for when they're trying to buy a property? It is still all about the kitchen and the bathroom. It's also, there's a huge lifestyle element to property now. So it's, uh, that's also the back garden. But you want the buyer to picture themselves there, either in the living room, watching the football with the mates, or watching something at night with your friends, or in the backyard, uh, having a barbecue with friends and family. What about spending money? How much should we be spending on a property? I mean, how, how do people work out what they need to do before they start to what we call overcapitalize on the property, what they're spending more than they're liable to get in return. In this day and age with technology, you can find out the value of your property plus or minus 5 and 10, or 10%. So, and then you have to look at the market. What is the rest of the market, the rest of the properties? What do they look like? So you don't want to renovate and it's to no one's taste in that particular market. So you just have to be conscious of that. It's not all about what your taste is. It's about your, the buyer's tastes. So you have to renovate renovate or get your property ready looking at those kind of factors. But you don't have to spend a fortune necessarily. Average home ownership seven to ten years. So that means we're unbelievable consumers in this country, which means invariably your house is probably going to be very cluttered, mm-hmm. meaning with furniture and everything. So declutter. So look at it with fresh eyes, walk in and pretend that you're a prospective buyer. 
and invariably there's a lot of furniture that you, that should be cleared out. That includes all your clothing and your wardrobes. Ring up a friend, borrow their second garage for a couple of weeks or get a storage unit and clear your house. Declutter. That's probably the number one thing. In this Australian consumerism, we all tend to buy, 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 and it's got to sit somewhere. And that, that goes for the bench tops and the kitchen, everything in the bathroom, all has to be clear. Yeah, right. It, it's not a lot of money. You just have to sit down and really say, well, declutter, what really don't I, should, should I take out of here? And does this room, particular room, could be the third bedroom, could be the living room, the study, is it cluttered? And yes, you might have a guitar in the corner, big old stereo set, that all has to go. So it's... It's what you can get rid of, not what you can add. Can exactly. actually add add value. Exactly. In recent years in Australia or over Australia, we've had these incredible, you know, property booms, property surges in in values. But now it is becoming a concern. Would you say? And people have to probably do a little bit more calculation in terms of how much they do spend in terms of what they're liable to get in return. I'd say yes. The market is more competitive. The market is is, is softening. So you want those perspective purchases to one have a very positive impression driving past so you want them to go to that open for inspection during the week or Saturday Sunday so and then once they're in the door you want them to stay longer than the similar property around the corner simple as that you want to get their airtime. so in order for them to stay longer you have to make your property look more attractive than the competitors in the market it is a competitive market but what are some of the other tips that that agents will give vendors in selling for example you know solar energy solar panels energy costs and those sorts of things is that becoming a concern for potential buyers it is and the other the upside of that if you have solar energy then if you're a pensioner it's very topical and very political at the moment if you're a pensioner but the, the house is off the grid as it were that's that's a really going to be a big big selling point for you is it's it? hard to sort of put a tangible figure on it but certainly in, in this day and age it's going to be a, a big big tick for that pensioner um, sort of retiree market as it were what are some of the things that you wouldn't be spending a lot of money on in terms of getting your house ready so well, not just ready in also renovating, I wouldn't take a three-bedroom house and because you want the bigger living room and make it into a two-bedroom house. If you have one garage, you sit down, you have X amount of money to spend, you want to say, well, to add value, I want either need a second garage or I need a carport. Things that will give you a real tangible value to your property. And it'll stand out from the competition. As an architect, I'm going, Angus, but you want to make something really nice, but you're saying, Pete, yeah, to yeah, but architects, Pete, architects are creative. <laughs> we're just, we're just thinking getting the vendor the highest possible price. Yeah, right. Now, Angus, let me ask you: Do you watch all those renovation shows? Uh, sometimes. Do you scratch your head and think, man, that is just spending too much money on something you'll never get your money back on? Absolutely. But you can get too close to the renovation um, process, meaning if you've been there five years already and you're doing the big renovation because you want to stay another five years, it's part of you. You have to be realistic in your budget and realistic in really what you want to achieve out of it. So absolutely. So an example is don't, don't necessarily go and buy this latest European tap hardware, which might be thousands of dollars. I would argue you'll probably never see that money. You'll never get it back. A buyer's not going to go in there, oh, oh darling, that's a French tap. That's worth a couple of thousand. Uh, I'm going to put my hand up one more time at the auction. It just doesn't happen like that. So European appliances in the kitchen, yes, big tick. But they don't have to be the best, best European appliances. They just have to be European appliances. I'd imagine too, though, that buyers may come through and they'll obviously have their own taste and, uh, and imagination. Is there any validity in just leaving your house 
alone and le- and and don't spend any money on it because you know someone's going to come in there and probably change it anyway. Uh, yes, there is, and because of all these renovation shows on TV, everyone wants to do their own renovation. So certainly, I'd still argue you still have to make it presentable. So we're talking something that, you know, there's holes in walls and everything, and mm. invariably it's, it ends up on the 6 o'clock news because it's someone's paid a fortune for it. But I think you still have to make it look so people can imagine them living in there. And then, sure, later on, they will sit down with a floor plan and say, well, if we buy it, we, we can do X, Y, and Z. So there's certainly, it's a double-edged sword, but that's sort of t- more talking about totally unrenovated areas. Like they're invariably deceased estates. Mm. They, they do extremely well. In terms of selling a house that has a DA attached to it, like the, the owner has gone to the trouble of, of getting plans done, maybe even having them approved, but hasn't gotten around doing the work. Does, does that add value? I'd certainly say that's a in certain parts that adds a lot of value. So it's all about time. So a potential um, purchaser will look well. That's going to save us six months because it's already been done. That DA for the second story, for example, the DA for the relaying garage with a study area. That's already been done. All we have to do is build it. So in actual fact, that the money and investment of having some plans done and doing all that legwork will probably reap you more return than, than the cost of having them, the plans done. Exactly, exactly. I'd imagine you've seen sort of some quirky properties <laughs> to sell over the years. What are some of the strangest things that you've seen? People trying to thought they were fantastic ideas, but secretly thinking, how on earth am I going to tell them that this is not going to work and we need to fix it? It's kind of around the, the hobby area. So we've had one years ago and I had a property and had a perfect square cut out of every plasterboard wall throughout the house. So I sort of said to our agent, what's the story here? And he said, oh, the guy was a train enthusiast. So he had his train track going through the whole house. So obviously that's going to that's gonna not inspect very well to a potential purchaser. Just another thing that they've got to do, patch it. Or another thing regarding hobbies, if you've got uh, acreage, semi-rural, and you've got an eight-stand um, horse stable, and you think you're going to get money back on that, that is thinking that you're going to sell it to another horse person. Mm. So you, you're just painting yourself in a corner that if not everyone's going to need eight stand stable, horse stable. Mm. just doesn't happen. I often look at the real estate copy, you know, and, and everything sounds amazing. Everything is fantastic. I reckon you're copywriters are the most creative people to, to try and spin some of the stuff. Well, hold on. I'm going to challenge oh, you. Right. Have you read a back of a wine bottle lately, Pete? Yeah. I mean, t- <laughs> no, marmalade, essence and everything. Come on. We're not that bad. But our, <laughs> our, our job is to get eyes through the website and then get people physically there for open for inspection. But yeah, yeah. Well, I know we're famous for that. But I challenge I think the wine industry is definitely, definitely gazumptus. Really? I can use a property term, most definitely. Read a back of a wine bottle. Come on. Finally, mate, I mean, there's been that many spooky talks about the property market. So honestly, where do you think we are now in Australia, medium term? We're seeing the market as bottomed, and we're seeing some quite positive signs about more properties coming on the market. And there's even talk of the Reserve Bank maybe dropping rates once or twice this year. That'll really get people moving, particularly the empty nesters, the downsizers. That's a big market. They're all sitting on their hands waiting. When's the best time to sell? And that'll probably happen, I'd say, the last quarter of this year. We focus on the vendors, people actually buying property. Things are tight. Banks aren't lending. They want to take out sort of mortgage insurances for, for people that have got, you know, 30% deposits. 
What are you advising people, people looking to get into the property market, things to, to, for them to remember? Before you even start looking at property, you've got to sit down and work out your budget. And, and what this, the big new term is the serviceability of that loan because the banks are looking at that. And they're looking at things like um, your cable TV costs, Uber Eats, if you have too many Uber Eats. So they're really Everything. doing a, a deep, deep, deep dive into your personal finances and your spending habits and spending patterns. It's just making it really, really difficult for people trying to get into the property market. And everything you everything you do now, potentially if you're looking at buying a property in the next year to 18 months, everything you spend anything on will be looked at. Absolutely. But also, be, you've got to be realistic. You might want to be in this suburb, but you probably won't be able to afford it. So go three or four suburbs away, which invariably is more affordable, and then five to ten years' time, move move. That used to be called the property ladder. It's sort of gone out of our vernacular. People, Australians used to do that and slowly build up, and I'm talking 30 or 40 years, over your, your investment cycle, as it were, and you move up into every suburb, every you know, better suburb, every five to 10 years. But I think society now, we want everything. We want the biggest, best and brightest. That's, that, you can't be unrealistic. So in terms of getting into the property market, it's not just that first purchase. It's the first purchase which may lead to two or three years or moves down the track. Spot on. It's not where you start in your property cycle. It's where you finish. Hello. Adam. Hey, how are you, buddy? Good, mate. Is it okay to have a quick chat now? Yeah, definitely, bro. Ad, I know you've sold a few homes in your time and being handy with a hammer and so on and so forth. What are the things that you do before you put the house on the market getting ready for sale? Well, basically, Pete, it's about, I mean, first impressions last, don't they? And, um, when, when potential buyers rock up, the first thing they see is the front of your house. So making sure that it's, it's looking clean, it's looking as tidy as possible. I mean, it's about just trying to get the people in. So find the right agent for you and hopefully they can minimise the stress. No matter what you do in life, obviously, you're never going to get rid of the stress completely, but it's about trying to get professionals around you that can help you minimise that stress and make sure that you're taking the right steps to get the best result. Good tip, mate. Good tip. Tell me, are you are you knocking anything up? You're pulling anything down? Are you painting something? What are you up to? <laughs> Definitely doing <laughs> something, Pete. It'd be boring <laughs> if I wasn't, wouldn't it? <laughs> now this week on the show, I'm actually making not one but two knife blocks. Not only are they practical, but they make a nice feature in the kitchen, mate. A knife block. Yeah, knife block, mate. So basically, one of them's just your more traditional style. You know, the one that you find sitting on your uh, kitchen benches. With a little bit of a twist, but the other one is the is one that goes on the wall, and I actually put a magnet behind it into into the timber, so then you can uh, hang your knives off it, mate. So you know when you cook it away, Pete. You know me and you, we're good in the kitchen, mate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ab- absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and you know when you've got you've got dirty hands, and you need to grab a knife, and you can't open up the drawer because you're going to dirty the handle. Crosses my mind all the time. Absolutely. Exactly. This way, the knives are right there, mate. You just grab whatever you need. Doesn't matter. And you just start cutting up and you don't have to worry about it opening up any drawers. So it's practical, mate. You're always thinking, mate. I've got to tell you. <laughs> but it's the only way to get through life. You've just got to think of other things, think of different ways of doing things. And, and we make it work, mate. Perfect. That's that's this Friday night, isn't it? Yeah, this Friday. Yeah. Uh, thanks for checking in and, uh, mate, enjoy the rest of the week. No worries. Take it easy, mate. Next week, Tim and Matt from House Rules come in and I quiz them on design styles. Let's keep going minimalist. I mean, that's self-explanatory, isn't it? <laughs> minimalist. Um, I think it's for one thing I've learned with minimalist. It's it's a very fine line between a very good minimalist design and boring. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
And don't forget this Friday night, the gang is back on Better Homes and Gardens TV show. That's on 7 at 7, and we've been nominated for another Logie. Yay! Better Ideas is a 7 West Media production. Loretta Farrell is the producer. Nikki Hamilton, the executive producer. And I'm your host, Pete Calhoun. Listener.